everybody. This is Sabrina, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to the Chasing Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode number 40, the big 4-0, and I have a, you know, every time, I have a fantastic guest for you, one of my closest friends, someone who we go way back, uh, Sabrina way Johnson. Back. <laughs> way, way, way back. Way, way back. Sabrina <laughs> Johnson-Turner, who is always ready to get out of town whenever you are. She is a Baltimore girl with a passport that refuses to stay in the corner. Fiercely independent, highly intelligent, and ton of fun for all ages, she is convinced most of us don't know how to choose our best pictures and wants to be our manager because she says she will make us great. Guys, let me welcome Sabrina, who is here to bring in the 40th show. Hey, Sabs. Oh, my God. Is it really like 40? That's such a great round number. Yay! I know. See how perfect that worked out? And I have you, one of my favorite per- people in the world, here. Yes. I'm here, I think, mostly. I, I'm lucky to get you because you, <laughs> my dear, are ridiculously hard to get a hold of because you are just, it's like Carmen San Diego, but for you. Like, where in the world is Sabrina today? You can call me Sabrina San Diego. That's probably fine. It's probably appropriate too. <laughs> so where where was the last place? Where where are you coming from? So domestically, I'm coming from St. Augustine, Florida, where I went for like a beach weekend, like four days, nothing too like crazy. But internationally, I'm coming from Brazil. I went okay. to Rio went to Rio de Janeiro for uh, about a week, about a month ago. So so, and, and guys, this is amazing. So Sabs and I, we go back uh, 15 years? No. Now, girl, it is 18 at this point. Yeah. Okay. 18 years. We go back way <laughs> back. So we know a lot about each other. Sabs and I, both computer science. Did you end up graduating as computer science too? No, ma'am. Mathematics. She did math. She went to law school before I did. And then, you know, I follow, of course. And so Sabs is actually now, what are you working on? Uh, in school? No, you're not in school anymore, but what do you do? Oh. oh, I work for an insurance company as a trial attorney. So if you get in a car accident and somebody sues you, I come from the insurance company to represent you in court. It's such a fun job. I get to talk all day to people, to judges, to juries, now, to people in insurance. I just get to talk. So Sabs... Being that we go way back and we've had all these years together, that's not where you initially, like 18 years ago, you didn't think, hey, I'm going to be this. No, 18 years ago, when I started college, I wanted to design video games. And I had the aptitude for it because I'm a little black girl that's good at math and science. And um, 
I, I guess I, ha- I had the aptitude for it and I have the intelligence for it. I just, I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't like computer engineering and computer science the way that I thought I would once I got to college. So I changed my major to get out. But you um, knew that at least. I mean, some people struggle through the entire way and graduate with a degree they don't like. Yeah, math is math is good and broad because there's a lot of math that's logical reasoning, and that's a lot of what the law is also. So, uh, my math training has helped me in being a lawyer, but it also just means I have major bragging rights because lawyers basically can't do math, and I've caught lots of errors in addition, like simple addition, um, where I'm like, "Hey, you did this wrong," and they're like, "Oh, it's a number. I can't understand those things," and I'm like, "My my degree's in math, so." The reliance on the calculator, and even then they mess up. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's actually the reliance on their assistants and their assistants' calculators, because they don't even go anywhere near those numbers. So they don't even do it themselves. So, but did you, when you got out of math, was law school the immediate, obvious next step? Uh, No, I went to grad school, like we were supposed to, Amy. I went to grad school for civil engineering, Um, and it was kind of like financial... Civil engineering applied in a financial context. And if you understood the times, we graduated from college um, in 03, and that's two years after September the 11th. And so it was a big like risk management time. So my my master's program or PhD program that I turned into a master's program um, when I did not complete my PhD was uh, it was in risk, risk and reliability engineering management. So I have a master's in civil engineering, which is less useful than my math degree. That, that that master's is good for bragging rights. It's good to get me a higher salary anywhere. And it's the reason I didn't do anything like journal or trial team or moot court in law school to make me stand apart because I was like, I already got this degree. So <laughs> I'm just going to kick it in law school. I'm not doing any of these extracurricular activities that are like work-based. I don't want them. But you already have this extra degree. You already went to grad school. Why law school? Um, because I finally figured out uh, at the end of, not at the end, I finally figured out somewhere in my early twenties, mid twenties that I liked the problem solving aspects of engineering, but I liked the people oriented aspects of the law. And so I was like, well, law is still problem solving also. It's just not quantity. It's not, it's not, uh, quantifiable problems. They're like, they're more abstract. So I was like, I can talk my way through. If I can talk my way through a logical reasoning proof in geometry in college, I can talk my way through a logical reasoning argument in law school. So I went and I loved every minute of all three years except the six weeks studying for the bar. Yeah, I don't think too many people enjoy that. No. I mean, life was simple then, but that test is, gosh darn it. I, I don't ever want to take another one. And I only recently just started considering taking another one. Oh, life. So for, for those who are not familiar with the legal world, um, <laughs> Sabs, can you break it down? Do you have to take it? Is it one test for all states? Um, every state has a different. So the, the bar exam is two days, sometimes three. It's three in California, South Carolina. And I don't know if there's another state. I know for sure those two states are three days. But um, on Tuesday, everyone takes, for the most part, everyone takes writes essays that are associated with their state. So it's very, everyone in all 50 states in D.C. takes a different test on Tuesday. They're all essays, but it's um, different tests. And on Wednesday, literally every person takes the same test. It's the multi-state. It's multiple choice. 
Um, and both days are all day. It's like two hours in the morning, uh, two hours of no. testing, which means oh, it's four like, hours. No. Well, the test itself is two hours, but the whole time you spend there is four hours on, cause you know, on either end. And then, and that same thing in the afternoon and that's two days in a row. And then I proceeded to drink a lot and it's, then it's very intense. It's so intense. It's very intense. Um, but, th- but then it's over with, um, unless you're one of the States like New Jersey, they do their state specific on Thursday so that you can do two. So like if you do New, New York and New Jersey together, New York does their state specific um, on Tuesday. Then everyone does multi-state on Wednesday. Then New Jersey does theirs on Thursday so that you could do two at once. Right. And Philadelphia is a similar way. A lot of people do Philly, New Jersey or New York, New Jersey. The, the point is, is Pennsylvania Pennsylvania's Wednesday, Thursday also. Yeah, well, you could do a lot of people do uh, Philadelphia and then New Jersey. Oh, so that, oh, that makes sense. So Pennsylvania is Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. and then Jersey is Wednesday, Thursday. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but see, the thing is, guys. Normally, you gotta you you take it once, and it's for that state. So me and Sabrina were were barred in Maryland. That's where we that's where we can practice. That's where we can practice <laughs> law. Uh, and there are exceptions and stuff like that. We won't get into it. But if you want to practice law in another state, generally, you would either have to waive into that state, which is you know. So hard. It's and, hard and, and most, it depends. Most states don't have it, yeah. Yeah, it depends. DC is is good. Michigan, I think, is another. But other Wisconsin. than that, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you can't do like California. You gotta take the state no. exam again. Again. Not many lawyers want to do that. There are some who are hardcore and like, yeah, bring it on. Not me. Not me either. Yeah. So every guy every guy I've ever dated that hasn't lived in Maryland, um, I'm like, oh hey. I have the the job that requires me to stay where I am, so you're going to have to come to me. Yeah, so that if you're if you're ever talking to someone who's a, a law, law student or a lawyer, just keep that in mind. Be considerate <laughs> of them and what yeah, they went that, through to get their degree. The test is horrible. I mean, it's a short period of time. It's a sacrifice, sure. but but I know that I did it when I didn't have anything else to do. Like I didn't have a full-time job. I didn't have, it was the six weeks right after law school graduation where Mm -hmm. my only job was to study for the test. And that makes it a lot easier because you can focus on it. I can't imagine doing it while like working. Like I have two jobs right now. And if I had to come home, like I worked this morning for my one job and then I worked all day for my full-time job and now I'm home and you're exhausted. yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to study for a test. I don't want to go to class and like learn right. like nope. So we we kind of do it. We do it in that period. We're lawyers. And now Sabs, did you have a hard time finding your job? My job that I have now is the third job I've had outside of law school. So my first job was like you can think of it like um an apprenticeship, I guess, like if I was like a wood carver, that kind of thing. So I was a clerk for a judge. So it's basically like the judge's um, henchman, if you will. And the clerkships usually last one year. Sometimes they last two. I had that job for a year, knowing that it was ending in a year. And then I didn't have another like full-time job. Some people already know that they're going to we, – but we came out during the recession, which is a whole different ballgame. But customarily, if you have a clerkship, you'd have another job coming out after that. But I didn't have one. So I did um, the lawyer version of a sweatshop, which is called Document Review where it's like a hundred for me it was like a hundred something lawyers on one floor of an office building with sitting in front of a computer in an office chair um blacking out documents essentially um that were to be used in litigation i did that it's kind of what i needed like a a year off from my brain yeah um 
Yeah, and then after that, I got the job I have now, which I was looking for the whole time I was doing doc review. So it took me like about a year, I guess, of actively looking to find it. And I happened upon a job that's perfect for me, like absolutely perfect in terms of not only what I do at work and my skill set and that kind of thing, but also in terms of flexibility and work-life balance and working for not having to bill hours or anything like that, like or not having to bill hours and not having to drum up business. I don't have to do either of those things, which is something that the legal profession, the practice of law, if you're an attorney that goes to court or purports to go to court, like a lot of my friends, um, you, you're on one side of the V. If you're a plaintiff's attorney, you have to bring business. If you're a defense attorney, you have to bill the hours to the client. I'm a defense attorney, but I don't have to do that. Yeah, and that's the difference, guys. I mean, Sabrina found uh, an amazing job. She's really good at it, and it fits everything that, uh, if you if you know Sabrina, is her. <laughs> People person, sociable, she gets to argue. All, all of these things together she found and, and made it work. But Sabs, when you were coming out of law school and you were going to be a lawyer, what was your checklist for, for a position, especially knowing what lawyers do? I could actually read it to you. Okay. Um, I wrote it. I wrote it in the back. My judge, when um, she and I didn't quite see eye to eye on everything, so I wrote what I wanted my, my future job to be in the back of the little notebook that I, um, that I keep my finances in. And it's basically all monetary, though. It's like, oh, I don't have I mean, a notebook. It's, it's like, your list. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's like I wanted to be paid at least $50,000 a year. That was my baseline. I wanted at least... Oh, I'm going to find it. I mean, I'm sitting right next to me saying I can find it. So while, it. while you're finding it, uh huh, you, you were in your current position, right, as a clerk, and you weren't, I guess, ecstatic about what you were doing. So you put this list together to kind of mold your search, or well, was it just... Yeah, well, it was partially to mold my search. It was partially as a screw you to the judge, because she told me I'd never be able to find what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least $50,000 a year, at least four weeks of vacation, um... And then those are the two important ones for me. And then um, the flexibility to be able to. So my set at my part time job is I teach group fitness. I'm an aerobics instructor, and I've been teaching aerobics for 12 years, so way longer than I've been a lawyer. Um, and I wanted the flexibility to be able to continue doing that for my health and for my pockets and for my sanity and for you know all of those for my creativity, all of those things. Um, and then I wanted to. I wanted autonomy. My judge was like, um, she's very much focused on what I was doing every minute of the day instead of the, my, the output of my work. She was too concerned about me, like sitting at my desk and doing this. And I was like, I can't have someone hovering over me like that. Like I can't. I so just, you wanted uh, more, um, trust or more. No, don't micromanage me. Manage me. That's fine. Make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but don't micromanage me. You shouldn't care. Like the the job I have now, I can do my work from my sofa. I can do it from my office. I can do it from someone else's sofa. Um, it doesn't matter. Like my boss now, he legitimately do- is not concerned with where I am when I'm creating my output as long as I do it on time. And it gets, and it gets done. And I, I work much better that way. But those are, I guess, all of the things I wanted. I wanted something. So I have purple hair and a big mouth and I don't like business suits and I wanted a job that allowed me to be me instead of having to conform to what people think a lawyer looks like wait 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 you don't wear business suits to court 
No, I don't wear business suits to court. I mean, I wear like, I, so let me back up. I wore a suit yesterday because I felt like wearing a suit yesterday. And I have like two or three, maybe four suits, depending on how much I weigh at any point in time that fit me. Um, but mostly I wear like pants and a blazer or a dress and a cardigan or, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't wear like my sweatpants, but I, I, I'm not wearing an all black suit with a white shirt and like two inch black pumps and like pantyhose. That's not me. That's not what I'm doing. So you found a job, which yeah, it's, it's very hard to find this kind of a job, um, especially in the beginning. So early on, how far, how much, how long would you say after you passed the bar? Was it before you found this job? Almost exactly. Wait, passed the bar or took the bar? Took the bar. So I took the bar in July of 2010. Um, Got sworn in in December of 2010. I started this job in June of 2012. So it'll be, it'll be four years. So at any point during those two years or so, did you start doubting the fact that this job even existed? 100. I didn't know it existed. I honestly didn't. I came across it. Um, my mother's college roommates, my mother's college roommates friend is my boss. So, <laughs> so like he told, he <laughs> that's told, so, that's like, I was trying to follow it. I'm like, wait, what? My, so yeah, he told the roommate who told my mom, who told me like, Actually, no, her roommate is like my auntie. So she told me my mom. I mean, she told my mom, too, but she told me. And um, yeah, she was like, you should apply for this. My friend is hiring. And I was like, I didn't even know what this job was. I didn't, they don't tell you everything in law school at all. Yeah. You know, and they don't really tell you how to find a job or where to look. Or, or I mean, I never knew. I or just how, thought insurance companies had. Law. Right. I just thought insurance companies had lawyers somehow. And they just kind of you know went to the lawyer factory, picked them up. I didn't yeah. know you applied to it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're you're there, and this is something different from what you, what what did you think, what kind of law did you think you were going to do when you were in law school? Um, you can probably attest to this too. If you have a degree that's anywhere remotely related to science or engineering, what does everyone assume you're going to do? Patent law. Yes, easily. I At the very base, intellectual property, but they... They're all like, why didn't you take the patent bar? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I left engineering for a reason. And also, like, my degrees and my credits in college aren't going anywhere. I could take the patent bar at any point in time if I want to. You're not going to. But you're right. You, yes. But I could. You, you still make a point. So then that's not what you wanted to do. What did you want to do? I didn't know. I honestly went to law school not knowing what I wanted to do. I went to law school with an open mind to see what I was good at. Um, and to kind of figure out where I fit in and, and, and to see how big the world of law is, because I, I went in with a safety net. If all else failed, I have these other two degrees that I could go do something in. So law school wasn't like a last ditch attempt. I didn't do it because I was a political science major in undergrad and didn't know what else to do. I did it because it interested me. And if I if I'd finished law school, I mean, granted, it's a crap ton of debt. But if I'd finished law school and been like, you know what, I was happier as a math teacher because I did teach math for a year, I would have gone back and taught math. Or if I was like, you know what, I want to finish this PhD, I would have gone back to grad school. Like, I mean, it makes sense. And that's, I mean, you had a safety net. You didn't have anything to necessarily fear because you could have figured out something at some point. It's amazing how this worked out. And it really does go to show that it is about who you know and that networking is a very, very important skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's still true? 
very, very true. It's most of the time you get a job because of who you know. It's either who you know or how good you are at knowing people really quickly, if that makes any sense. It does. I think I think it does. Absolutely. And the relationships you build um, are ones that may not seem valuable at, at the, in the initial, but mm-hmm. can be profoundly valuable down the road. Now, do you think that you would stay where you are at your job? Um, I'm trying to stay here for the rest of my life. As sure. long as they, they need to pay me a little bit more, but I'll get there. I'll get there. I need to start doing more jury trials and fewer bench trials, but... I was the first lawyer they hired in my office in 12 years because people, yeah, people, and there are eight lawyers in my office. People just come and they stay. Like it's not, this work isn't, the work I'm doing isn't necessarily like, it doesn't send me home with a headache. It's still challenging sometimes and it's honing my skills. If I could, if I could stay here, stay where I work for a number of years and then if I ever want to transition, the problem is. I work in-house counsel, and for anyone who's ever been a lawyer, in-house counsel is like one of the cushiest jobs. If you are a lawyer for a company and I am a lawyer for an insurance company, like that's like that's like the best thing. But most of those lawyers do like labor and employment or that kind of thing. But I am a trial attorney for a company, which is a very unique position, almost exclusively reserved to insurance companies or other other types of companies that have a lot of turnover, like litigation. But um, I work for a national company, which means that I get all the benefits of working for like a Dell or like a, dude, is Dell still a thing? For an Apple or a Facebook or... <laughs> Dell is still a thing, but Microsoft. Yeah. I, it, Microsoft or... Johnson & Johnson, the like, point is, a big company. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the, the reason I wanted you on the call, though, for sure. I mean, yes. Yes, you have a wonderful personality. You're fantastic to talk to. But I'm gonna <laughs> be honest. The reason I called is because um, you're Carmen San Diego, Sabrina San Diego, if you will, and you've <laughs> been traveling in the la- ever since you got this job. I mean, you've traveled before, and you've traveled yeah. a lot. But your traveling log, your travel log, has probably grown two to three times as much just, as it was before. Is that safe has- to say? It is. So like as a, as a high school student, I got to go to Europe twice. I went to Spain in 11th grade and Scotland in 12th grade. And that was the, the, is that when you were bit by the bug? I suppose that was the first and second time that I had left the country. And it was amazing. Spain was, I was 15 and 16. Like it was awesome. And then we like the Caribbean is so close to the East coast, um, in the United States that we went to the went to Jamaica when I graduated from oh my friends graduated from college in 02, the year I was supposed to graduate and um, then I like I kept going to the Caribbean over and over again and went to Cancun once and then I was like I'm gonna try some other things so last no 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 two years ago I have a friend who's my age who has a daughter who's now 17 but she was 15 at the time and they're from Honduras. And so she was turning, so it's her quinceañera. So instead of having like a big fancy party here in Maryland, they're like, we're going to go to Honduras because my friend's daughter's father still lives in Honduras. So we just went down there and I, and she was like, my friend, her name is Tanya. Tanya was like, just come. And I was like, well, it'll be you, your husband, your three daughters. And she's like, just come. And I was like, okay. And I bought a ticket. She's like, I didn't think you'd come. And I was like, don't mess with me. Like I will, I will go places. So I went to Honduras for a week, stayed with her family, and then we like did the whole 
quince thing at the beach. And my other friend and her daughter were there too. So it wasn't just, it was like a family vacation. And then like me, (laughs) two families, two families and me. Yeah. It's safe to say if you ever don't bet against Sabrina, she will call you on it. Like if you, if you tell her to do something, yeah, she's not 90% chance. She'll do it. I will buy that plane ticket in a heartbeat. So I had a great time in Honduras while I was there. I like hung out with my other friend's dad so I have another, I have multiple friends who are Honduran, multiple friends who are from every country in the world. Yeah, but. Sabrina is a social <laughs> butterfly and probably has a friend in every country around the world or close to it. So I hung out with his dad and he was like, well, I'm coming back in a month. And I was like, huh, my birthday's in a month. So I came back from Honduras and left again to go to Honduras and four, four weeks later um, and took my friends with me, took two of my girlfriends with me and had a great time. And he actually invited me. And then he invited another girl. We all went to Vanderbilt at the same time. And that other girl brought a friend. And he didn't tell us that we were all coming. But now all the girls are best friends. And like one of the girl, one of the girls has moved down here. And she's like one of my closest friends I talk to every day. And it's because of Honduras. It's because Carlos was like, you and Ariel should come. And I was like, you didn't tell me that till I got off the plane in Honduras. But that's cool. And then, <laughs> and that was in 2014. I went to Honduras twice. And then I went to Puerto Rico with my friends from law school for like a birthday so my birthday was in Honduras, and then we did it again in Puerto Rico. And then I was home for a while. Then I went to Los Miami for a birthday. I went to Los Angeles to visit my brother. And I was, and then I think this is probably the main catalyst. Um, Christmas Day of 2014, mm-hmm. there was a glitch. There was a glitch in the matrix. I woke up at my mom's house in the the guest room in the bed, and I like do what most of us do when we wake up. Like I picked up my phone and started looking at Facebook to see everyone's like Christmas mornings. And one of this girl that um, had gone to my rival high school, another all girls school, she had posted something about like finding a $200 plane ticket round trip from DC to Abu Dhabi in the, you know, in the Emirates. And I was like, $200 is less than it cost me to get to Los Angeles. So I'm just going to go on ahead and and she had posted the dates. And once again, the date she posted encompassed my birthday. And I was like, spend my birthday in the Middle East. Sounds good to me. So like having asked nobody or done anything, I took out my credit card and I just bought this $219 plane ticket from DC, which is like an hour from me to, um, to Abu Dhabi. And then I, then I called out to my girlfriends who I know are like ride or die. And I was like, Hey girls, just bought, bought this ticket and they're all like oh it's christmas morning i'm opening gifts i'm like you should just buy it now and then they were like okay so they bought it and then i went so then i went to dubai in may and so we flew to abu dhabi and then that's like 45 minutes to to dubai so we went to dubai for a week in may it was awesome and amazing wasn't anything like i thought it was gonna be at all but it was still awesome i couldn't believe i was like it's the longest flight i'd ever taken it was direct from no stops from Abu Dhabi, or I'm sorry, from Dallas to Abu Dhabi. 13 hours in the air, but the plane is like they feed you like 12 times. You get all the all the wine you want. There's like movies for for forever, and it's do you remember it's who, not as, Do you remember what airlines you flew? Yes, this was Etihad. So Etihad is Emirates' main um, competition. It's E T I H A D. I've heard rumors that it's owned by the government of UAE, but I don't really know. But the plane was beautiful and wonderful, and everything was perfect. Like it was, it could not have been a better plane ride. It lasted 13 hours. But that didn't stop the travels. No. So so I did that on Christmas Day, bought the plane ticket. We figured out all the accommodations later. 
So then in January, I have a friend who um, I went to. We were both teachers at the same time, and we met at like a professional development thing when I was in Nashville. And we just stayed friends. And so he hit me up and is like, hey, do you want to go to Hawaii? And I was like, okay. And then it went through many iterations before we decided to go to Iceland together. Just me and Ryan just decided to go to Iceland. And so I feel like in January, I bought my plane ticket to Iceland. So the way it was going to go was go to Dubai, come home for two days, leave for Iceland. And that's what happened. Okay. Um, Sebs, Sebs, (laughs) how many months of the year would you say you traveled last year? Oh, in 2015? Yeah. I went, I went to, so like, does travels mean driving or does it only mean flying? Let's go with flying because I'm pretty sure that itself would be so powerful. So last year I went to Nashville. I went to Dubai. I went to Iceland. I went to Cozumel, Mexico, and I went to Ecuador. But I knew I was going all those places by March of last year. So like when, so December 14, I bought my ticket to Abu Dhabi. January, I bought the one to um, Iceland. And and I'm not talking expensive. Like people are always like, "Oh, you must be so rich" or whatever. I'm like, "You're weird." I'm obviously not rich, but um, <laughs> but my my plane ticket to Dubai was two hundred dollars. My one to Iceland was four hundred dollars, which is still cheaper than Los Angeles. And then for Cozumel, I was I me and my friend Kristen hadn't seen each other in a while, so I found a deal on Groupon for like a, a res, like an all inclusive resort because I was like I wanted a beach vacation. I wanted something where I could just lay on the beach. So I did that. And then like in March is when I bought my ticket to Ecuador and we ended up leaving on Halloween. But I have a friend who's from Ecuador and she she really wanted to take all of us home with her. And so um, my ticket to Ecuador, I think, was like five hundred dollars. That was probably the most expensive one. But um, so by March of last year, I knew I was going four places. So I knew I knew where I was going. The two questions that come up, right? You already mentioned one briefly, uh, the money thing, right? Uh If you couldn't, you found affordable prices. Is that what enabled you to be able to go? Yeah. So a lot of people are, they're really, they're really concerned about, so people, people that don't, it's hard if you, if you're not flexible, like if your if your job is tied to certain, I guess, like for me, I can go to my job and just say, Hey, I'm going to be gone for this week. And then we just reschedule the trials. Like nothing is life threatening, but, and, and in reality, most people's jobs are like that, except that their bosses make them feel like it is. But anyways, so, so if you, if you are, have any flexibility in when you can go on vacation, that's, that's always good. But I feel like the most flexibility you need to have, if you want to be a globetrotter is in location. Like, it's not like I started off 2015 saying, I want to go to these four countries. Like I wasn't like, I want to go to the United Arab Emirates. I want to go to Iceland. I want to go to Mexico. I want to go to Ecuador. I didn't start off my year saying that. Right. What, ha- what happens, the, usually it's the airfare that'll get you for most places. What I started, I started off the year saying nothing. And it's just like when a good deal comes, like a $200 round trip ticket to the Middle East, you buy that because you can waste $200 in a weekend in Baltimore. Like it's not like it's it's not I don't want to say it's not a lot of money because obviously for some people it is, but I feel like you you have to be if if what if your goal is to see as much of the world as possible, take the locations when they're given to you. So would you say that it's a matter of being flexible but also making it a priority? Like have you made when when looking at purchasing things, when spending money that you try and 
put money towards travel because you love it so much? I do. And I also have the, I guess it's a luxury sort of, of not being married and not having any kids, um, and having two jobs. So I, part of the reason I still teach aerobics is so that I have enough money to pay my bills, to pay my student loans and not kill anyone. And to be able to like, to, to go do this thing that's so important to me. I want, I want to see the world. And so I, I'm going to go see it. Yeah. And so the second part, which you also alluded to, the flexibility you have is the reason you're able to travel so much is because you try and make it work. You schedule it around or you you work everything else around your travel or vice versa. Kind of. So like that, I have a lot of friends that travel for work so that they're gone. Like all all my friend Chester is always gone. He lives in Sacramento, but I swear he's in DC and New York more than anywhere else. Um, and so he doesn't, he doesn't have like a home base, but I'm one of those people that like, I, t- I play football on Saturdays. So like, and, and I play three seasons a year. Like I don't play summer, but I play, um, fall, winter and spring. So every Saturday I'm expected to be on a football field in cleats ready to go. But I know, but my teammates all know that like I travel a lot. So if it's some place that I want to go travel to, it's just one or two Saturdays. Like it's not a big deal if, for most of the season, you know, like yeah. if there are eight games a season, I might miss one or two. Like it's not that big of a deal. So even I'm captain. <laughs> so congratulations because you are one step closer to this amazing opportunity, which I wasn't aware of. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yes. So, um, I just found out about it too. So there's, uh, everything I have has a story with it. When we were in college, um, our friend, Michelle, um, was dating a guy that went to the Naval Academy and this was in like 2000. And so like he was leaving out of BWI when she first met him. So she and I drove to the airport. We walked him like through, there was no security. We walked him just in, you know, and like walked all the way up to the gate and like said goodbye to him. And then she and I just sat there like at the gate, like at the bars that are past what we now know as security. We sat there and we talked for hours. It started snowing. And that was pre-2001. Now, no one can ever do that. That's such a fond memory for me because it's like nearly impossible now. So I applied recently for global entry, which helps for two things. It helps, basically it takes you being an honest citizen of this country and it rewards you and kind of takes you as close back to that as possible. So um, it costs $100. Um you apply online and then you go have an interview. You basically just have to prove that you're not a threat. Um, and so they, what it means is on your way back into the United States coming from any other country, you can skip customs, basically. You just roll on out. And what comes with it is TSA pre-check. So what that means is for when you buy your plane tickets domestically, like if you're going anywhere in the United States from anywhere in the United States, you put your number in and it shows up on your boarding pass and you can basically get in the shorter security line or skip them, get to go on the plane first. It's all those things that were, it kind of, I feel like, I feel like it's like reparations for making us have to take our flip flops <laughs> off so, at security. So what is this program called? Global entry. So global entry is the big one. That's the one where when you're coming back in, you don't have to go through customs. And with that, you get TSA pre-check. You could just do TSA pre-check, but that in and of itself is $75. So I say 
they splurge on the extra 25 and go for global entry, and then you're fine for wherever you go as an American citizen. And guys, it's, it's for a limited time, but it's worth it, if, especially yeah, if you're I, traveling. I think it lasts for either two or five years, one of those two numbers, but then you can redo it. And right. if you may, and if you go like two years without blowing up a plane, I'm pretty sure they'll just renew you. Because what it does for the system is it takes a lot of work off of these poor TSA agents and these customs agents that, that their job has been like tripled or quadrupled or whatever in volume since these since 2011, you know. Absolutely. And guys, definitely take that uh to heart, especially if you're you're a traveler or you want to travel, you know, Find ways to do it. Here's one suggestion that might make life a little bit easier for you. Yeah, do do global entry. And if you're not an international traveler, if you're just a United States person, do TSA pre-check. Sabs, before we wrap up, what is one thing you would tell someone who's chasing their dreams, whether it be an advice, a book to read, someone to look after, you know, anything under the sun, what would you tell them? I suppose I would tell them to, to just... Not to quote Nike or anything, and I guess it's kind of cheesy, but to just do it. Like there, the, the we have this whole huge resource called the internet. So if there's anything at all in the world that interests you about anything at all in the world, you can find it. And if you want to do something, make it a priority. Don't let other people talk you out of it. Find other people that either want to do it with you or that support you, and then. Just go and go and do it. Go see the world. Go learn a craft. Go be the best at something. Go be the worst at something and still do it. It doesn't matter. If it makes you happy, we're only here for a limited amount of time. And no one's going to give you credit for the amount of hours you put in doing crap you don't like to do. So go do something you like to do. And you know what? It's only a dream until you do it. And then, like me, like with travel, it's then your reality. Like I don't dream about tra- – I mean I dream about traveling. But like it's not just a dream anymore. Like it, it, it is my life. Well, I can't say that better. I can't. Sabs, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story because I really think that's something people don't realize they can do. You can do it. It's not, it's not hard. You just have to, you have to, you have to do it. You rock. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, new friends. And that was my friend, Sabrina Johnson-Turner. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to her story as much as I enjoyed talking to her about it. You can find all the show notes and any links mentioned today on the show notes page for this episode at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 40. That's episode four zero. Until next time, Dream Chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.